entering the Freedom Hut. Looks like there was more coordination behind the scenes between the deep state and the Democrats on this whole Ukraine situation. We'll talk about that. And also the anonymous book is out and people say it stinks. We'll break down just why that's the case. And some crazy protesters get up in Buck's face on the streets of New York City. That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you on this chilly but lovely Friday here in NYC and across the country and around the world. Thank you again to those watching on Pluto Channel 248, the first. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. And also, podcast numbers are growing because you're telling people about the show. It is on every day uh, on iTunes, on the iHeart app. Subscribe. The podcast drops 3 Eastern. You can listen to it whenever you like. Listen to it in drive time. Uh, So... Before I get into the latest on the uh, back and forth over Ukraine and impeachment and this this political fight that has become an obsession of of the media and an obsession of the political class, I wonder how much most Americans really care about this, although I suppose we'll just have to wait and see what comes of it all. Um, I want to tell you that last night I went to a a gala here in New York City for the uh, New York Young Republican Club. Uh, It was a great great event the guys who put it together uh, really made it all happen and it was it was fun it was a it was like a conservative avengers reunion kind of situation we had my man raheem kassam there uh lieutenant colonel tony schaefer steve bannon was there i gotta say bannon gave a keynote and i i've met steve before and i'm familiar with some of his work his speech was or the mic didn't work so Bannon stands up, and there must have been almost 300 people, I think, were there last night. It was 250 or 260 in the, in the ballroom. And Bannon stood up, and the mic was just on the, on the fritz. So he just said, all right, I'm just going to project, which is, this is what a pro does, right? That's how you do things. It would have been, look, I'm just going to say it, it would have been my move. You don't want to keep being uh, testing, testing, touching the mic. and uh, You lose people if there's too much of that. And the room was small enough that he could project. So he stood up, and he gave a... A very good speech in which he said, uh, we, are, we are losing right now. Um, he said, we're not losing in a micro-policy sense, but we are losing if we don't understand how close we are to uh, continuing to lose ground to China, for example, uh, lose ground to socialists in our own country. And just because Donald Trump has been a moment of, of pushback and fight back against all of that, it doesn't mean that if you take a if you take a step back and look at the totality of what's going on, that the uh, situation for conservatism and for individual liberty and constitutionalism in this country is looking good. And if you were to put it on a if you were to plot this on a longer X, Y axis, it is trending against liberty. It is trending toward collectivism. This is not what he said. This is my interpretation of some of uh, some of Steve's remarks. And he also gave just his uh, review of what it was like going into the final weeks of the election, because I believe three years ago, was it three years ago today, uh, November 8th, at least three years ago, was when 
we had our uh, our first day. Was it the first day of the election? The first day after the election. It's been three years. It's rather amazing that this time has gone by so quickly. Uh, but yeah, uh, Raheem Kassam, Pasobic, uh, Bannon was there. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer was there. A bunch of other folks that. Oh, Rob Smith, great guy. He was. It's funny. I saw Rob in the New York City subway in the morning randomly, and then I saw him at night at the gala. So. Even New York with 8 million people can feel rather small sometimes. Well, while it was a fantastic night, my little brother was there. He's uh, looking very dapper as always. While it was a, a great night for all involved, there was a contingent outside of, of protesters. And they had clearly studied who the invited and, and you know, VIP guests or whatever you want to call them, essentially media people or those with some public profile. And it was also a black tie event or black tie preferred. So most people were wearing, I mean, Bannon didn't wear black tie. Don't worry. Bannon wore what Bannon wears, which is very specific to Bannon. Uh, but there were people who were outside and there must have been about 60 or 70 protesters, I'd say, outside of this event. And... They, you know, yelled um, epithets as I was walking past them. You know, things, uh, you know, alt-right and racist and things like that. And then I have to tell you, one of them actually jumped out from the crowd. Now, there were police there. So there were police standing right there, which is interesting because on the one hand, I know some of you are saying, well, if someone got up in my face in this way, I would, well, if the cops are there, Someone yells at you and you put and you, you know, you escalate that situation. You're the one who's going to get the uh, silver bracelets on you. So you just have to walk into the building and not not pay attention to it. But there was one individual in particular who kind of got up and actually stood in front of me to block my way. Um, and he looked to be he was a white male, probably late 40s, early 50s. Um, and. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, let's just say he, he was not a, a rugged-looking fellow. Um, and he looked like he'd spent a lot of time indoors uh, playing battle chess by himself. And I, uh, I had this guy in my face, and he was screaming in my face, you are not welcome here. I'm a member. It was at the Yale Club. I'm a member. You are not welcome here. Screaming in my face. And I just kind of looked at him and, you know, smiled actually and just walked, walked around him. And it was so interesting because my, my mindset, at first it was, you know, what, what a clown. And there was a little part of me that was like, you're lucky that there are people here because I am somebody and, and I should probably get this out of the way now in case there ever is an incident. Um, I, don't, I don't deal with aggression usually by just being cool about it. Um, I may seem very mellow and relaxed when I do this show, which I am, um, and I think I'm a very fair fellow and never look to start any problems, but I, I do not react um, passively to aggression. Uh, that said, I, I initially had that moment that I think a lot of guys in the audience and gals in the audience would, where it was, this guy's lucky that, you know, because the, the worst thing you can do as a conservative, of course, and but apologies for my voice, obviously I was out a little bit late last night, there was some mezcal involved, and but the worst thing, actually, it was tequila. It wasn't mezcal, if we're really going to be fair. I, I asked for mezcal, and they didn't have it. So I wanted there to be mezcal, but there was just tequila. Uh, 
if you do anything, if I say, if you say anything, if you curse at them, they're all just hoping to create some incident that then they can put on. Uh, I saw someone call uh, Huff Post Huff Huff poop this morning on Twitter, which I had never seen that before. That was interesting. Um, but one of those sites, and or someone also referred to Vox as as, uh, as pox, like chicken pox. Um, but. You know, they're waiting for somebody to overreact and do something bad in a circumstance like that. And so I had my I I know that. And so I'm just going by them. And I kind of like smiled at some of them just because. But then I was walking the building. I had I had a couple of other thoughts. I mean, there was this process that went the initial thing of somebody getting right up in your face. who doesn't know you who's screaming at you. And they targeted me specifically. I mean, Bannon was smart enough to show up later on when they didn't have a permit anymore, so the police weren't there, so you could go in the back door. So, you know, some of the other people, I just went in the very beginning of the event, I didn't care. And so they came after me specifically and got right up in my face and yelling at me. And you have that initial, you, that initial feeling of this person is showing aggression. He's lucky I don't, I don't you know, take his head off. And, and then as I walked inside, I just thought, this is really what libs are now. This is who they've turned into. Um, this guy allegedly went to Yale University. It's pouring rain outside. There's an event with people who are, it's a private event, people wearing black tie. And, you know, the all, I mean, the the keynote speakers are military veterans, all three of them, and all of whom serve their country in uniform. And there was a very, it was just not that this really should make any difference to anybody because, you know, uh, but I, I thought it was interesting. It was a particularly diverse crowd as well, which I just think the left would always say, oh, you know, it's all these white male Republicans. Anybody who was there last night, or first of all, obviously it was about half women, but even beyond that, it was very, it was actually uh, a diverse room. Um, not that I feel like we should always have to have that comment. You know, just does every party have to have a, uh, I mean, private party have a diversity quotient? Well, the left seems to like to enforce that kind of thinking. But as we went in, or as I went into the building, I just remember thinking, I talk about these libs on the air and how they're crazy, and and it was actually, it was good to experience this, because this was, and it's not the first time, and I get people write horrible things to me. I, I don't write, I mean, I don't read the stuff that comes in on roll call that's, you know, you're horrible, you know, go go blank yourself or go do something terrible to yourself. You know, I don't read because why? I mean, it doesn't it's not if it's funny. Occasionally, I'll read it, but I don't read this stuff where it's just people who are, are venting spleen. Um, it's not worth hearing for anybody. But as uh, as I went in the building, I was thinking this is real. I mean, people have actually lost it. I mean, I would be so ashamed to show up at a private event and get in the face of a stranger and yell at that person and try to ruin that person's night, which it didn't at all. I had a great night. The Sexton brothers were out on the town. I had tons of friends. We had a fantastic night, so it was great. I would never allow something like this to get in the way of that. Um, but that was the purpose, obviously, was to rattle people and make them feel you know, like, like they can't have a moment's peace. This was a purely so it was a social event. It had nothing to do with, you know, we weren't raising money for a candidate or anything. Um, and it, it is a reminder that these people are, um, they are crazy. I mean, they really have taken politics to a level that I, I would be, I would be, I would not just be ashamed personally. I would be ashamed to be friends with someone. I would, ash- I'd be ashamed to be associated with somebody who would wait in the rain outside of a private party to yell. By the way, if I had asked, I mean, I, I thought about engaging this guy. What, what do you not like about my positions? You know, you, 
you utter moron. But it's it's not. I'm I'm going to a party. I, I don't I don't care. It doesn't it doesn't benefit me. But I'd be ashamed to even be associated with a human being that would do that. And there were 70 of them or so, 50, 60, 70, something like that, waiting outside. That's my estimate. Um, all in a line, pr- placards, the whole thing, and picked people out to try to – and I know that they do this on college campuses. But, but keep in mind, this, this, was not an, this was not meant to be we, – we weren't trying to provoke a dialogue with the outside world. This was a private party that you know, some Antifa group in New York found out about, and they sent their lunatics to it. Um, and I'm just gonna just gonna say this on the record right now for all the team, because you know, hopefully the hopefully the corporate folks in the world will always back me on this one. But if something ever happens and I have to lay out one of these guys, I'm just telling you that they started it. <laughs> okay, just there's zero chance that I started it. So I want to make sure that we're all that you have that. That is the that is my alibi from the get go. If something ever happens and there's a video of me and I have to knock somebody out, uh, they started it just so you know, because I know myself and I would never react unless I was actually physically, personally threatened um, in that way. But they're, they're crazy, which you saw. And then you also have, they're pathetic too. It's such a, such a bizarre, sad, and loser thing to do to wait outside of a social event and scream at people. Because what? Because Donald, because we voted for the same president that half the country voted for that that makes that acceptable and i I would just wonder you know uh, do these do these loser leftists all libs all democrats all you know i'm sure msnbc and cnn watchers they probably go on slate and vox.com and think they're getting the truth i mean there wasn't a single non-leftist in this group of of protesters outside but you have to wonder to yourself well uh, i just would they be okay? What, what if somebody was having a, a wedding, you know, at that venue and, and Steve Bannon was attending the wedding? Would they wait outside? And, you know, the left really is much closer to the depravity and disgrace of the Westboro Baptist Church, for example, than I think many of us know because the media is always covering up for them and trying to hide this. But they're not embarrassed by these people, which I think is really noteworthy. I mean, they're they're not disgusted by people who would wait outside of a private event and get in a stranger's face, someone they know nothing about. And I, I, I mean, he wasn't trying to intimidate me because that would not have worked, but was clearly just trying to be rude. And 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 I got it actually, I think, more aggressively than anybody else. I mean, the other people they really came after me in particular because um, other people were walking in before me, other people that I know from media world. Um, and it's, it's a reminder that as I sit here and I tell you about these things, about how we are going into political trench warfare. We are going into an era now where the gloves have come off and people are ugly and they're nasty and they're mean and they're crazy and they're stupid and they're ignorant and they're liberals. That's where we are. That's what has become normalized on the left. There's no embarrassment over things like this. There's no sense of shame that these people allegedly represent liberal values. They represent liberal values by shaming people going to a, a social event. Um, you know, I, I just would wonder, do they have any boundaries at all? Do they have any respect, any decency whatsoever? The answer is no, of course not. And, I, and quite honestly, I'm sure that if they found out that Steve Bannon or, or some of the other people that were in, Eric Prince was in attendance as well, if, uh, if some of them... We're at a, I'm sure they would wait outside a wedding and probably spit at the bride. These people are disgusting. 
they are disgusting. And they're liberals, they're leftists, they adhere to this ideology that we're always told is in resistance to Donald Trump. Uh, if this country goes down a very unfortunate and um, destructive path, which I do have days where I worry about that, I do think the same way that I tell you that if I ever have to defend myself against one of these Antifa lunatics, trust me, it's their fault. If we ever go down the road that I'm hoping is unthinkable, where this country really starts to have political violence in the streets, which happened in the 60s, could happen again. Um, last night was a reminder that these leftist maniacs, they're the ones that are responsible for it. That much we know ahead of time. All right, let's talk about this uh, whistleblower situation with uh, some revelations on Tucker Carlson's show. Before I, get, I actually get into Tucker's show, I just want to say, don't worry, producer Mark, we will not let anybody know where producer Mark's wedding is because if, if any of those Antifa clowns show up outside producer Mark's wedding, all bets are off, baby. Old, oh. old school buck. The trading If somebody will spits in. on my bride, they are- They're uh, a dead man. Yeah, they uh, are I, dead. I know. Yeah. I'll be right there with you, yeah. man. It'll be like that scene that. in Office Space where they have the fax machine, but it'll actually be some guy. From Antifa. <laughs> That's what'll end up happening. That's one of the best scenes at Office Space, by the way. If you haven't seen it, it's like worth going back just because to this day, I think I'm on my fourth printer in my apartment in like four years. It just they always break. I th they always there's always a paper there's and always they a paper can smell here. fear. They know when you really need to when print something. When you really need to print something, when you're like desperate to get some form in or you're gonna like lose your driver's license or something. That's what always happens. Well, when me. you were in college and you really needed yeah, to print course, the paper, paper, of course. Yeah. It's, it's outrageous. So anyway, Office Space, if you haven't seen it, that's my movie wreck for the weekend. It is a timeless classic that I'm sure would trigger libs if they watched it today. All right, so what's the latest in this whole saga? Do we call it I like to call it a farce, a saga. It is a comedy, but it's not funny. Uh, we, we're going to, here, here's a, just a, a general, it's a prediction. It's also an update of what I've been telling you all along. And that is that the more we find out about what has really happened here with the whistleblower and all this, the more this will be just what we had before with Russia collusion, where people set, this was a setup. This was a it was a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory. This was a conspiracy that there were people who were conspiring um, out of a maniacal hatred for this president, for what he represents, for the threat to the established order of the elites in this country. And they feel very justified in doing a whole lot of stuff, including uh, up to and including breaking the law in order to harm uh, this president. Well, turns out, uh, and this was an exclusive last night on, on Tucker's show. Tucker's show's great. Tucker's uh, a fantastic dude, by the way, just putting it for those. You know, sometimes I come on, I'd, I say that people in media, a lot of them are really bad, really crappy people. It's true, and by the way, it is true of conservatives that you all know, too, but I won't, you know, I, 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 home team gets a respect, even if there's some mean people on the home team. Um mostly libs are the terrible ones though, just so you know. And there are people like Tucker out there in media who are just awesome, very talented, great guys, super nice. So the good news is that there's plenty, you know, Shannon Bream is amazing and super talented and nice. You know, I mean, I, I got, I, I'm going to sit here and go through like 50 people at Fox, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. There are some really fantastic people uh, on the right in media. So I know I give the media a hard time, but you know, Fox is like this one outpost um, of of sanity in, in a crazy, crazy world out there. Uh, so here's what happened, though, on Tucker's show. This is the exclusive. They had former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie 
uh, Yovanovitch, I think that's the way we're supposed to say it, a key witness in House Democrats impeachment inquiry, communicated via her personal email account with a Democratic congressional staffer concerning a quite delicate and that's a quote and quote time sensitive matter. Just two days after the whistleblower complaint that kickstarted the inquiry was filed and a month before the complaint became public. The emails appear to contradict Yovanovitch's deposition on Capitol Hill last month in which he told U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin about an email she received on August 14th from the staffer Laura Carey, but indicated under oath that she never responded to it. The communication came from the Foreign Affairs Committee, and they wanted me to come in and talk about, I guess, the circumstances of my departure as ambassador to Ukraine, Yovanovitch testified. I alerted the State Department because I'm still an employee, and so matters are generally handled through the State Department. Um, She then went on to say, so she emailed me, I alerted the State Department, and you know, asked them to handle the correspondence, and she emailed me again and said, you know, who should I be in touch with? Fox News is told that it is a breach of normal procedure for congressional staff to reach out to a current State Department employee at their personal email address for official business. Yeah, you can say that again. Why would, why would the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who is one of the main voices that they point to now to shore up this flimsy impeachment case against the president why would she want to talk to them about a, a sensitive matter talk to a democrat house staffer doesn't that seem odd quite delicate and time sensitive two days two days after the whistleblower complaint does anybody want to take the position this is a coincidence Anyone want to try that one Um, this is yet another indicator of what I think we've all known has been the case all along. There were people, there was a a group really of Obama administration uh, holdovers or people that had been in the State Department during the Obama administration had formulated what they thought was Ukraine policy. Keep in mind, these Ukraine experts, this whole group of them, Vindman, uh, Yovanovitch, um, you've got all, you know, you've got these different ambassadors that are, are giving their testimony. So how many, how many envoys and aides and ambassadors and all this stuff do you really need? But conversation for another time, you have all of the, all of this happening here. And yet they weren't able to do one of the most important things that could have been accomplished. These, these so-called Ukraine policy, including Eric, Sharamello, whose name is now out there everywhere. We're all talking about it, including last night on, or yesterday rather, on The View. That was, that was a, a uh, fiery exchange with uh, the president's, one of the president's sons, Donald Trump Jr., and the ladies of The View. I still, though, am stunned by how stupid the analysis is of you're breaking the law by sharing a news story that names the whistleblower when everyone knows the name. So we suppose we're really going to embrace this Orwellian world that the left wants us to, where we we pretend to not know that which we know. That's going to be the way that the game is played going forward. I I don't think so. I don't think we're going to do that. But 
Yovanovitch talking to a Democrat. Of course, a Democrat staffer on Capitol Hill. Um, oh, and they weren't able to get lethal aid to Ukraine is what I was going to say. They weren't able to convince the Obama administration. All these Ukraine experts care so much about Ukraine. But at the end of the day, they were ineffective. That's right. At the end of the day, for all the complaining about Donald Trump in Ukraine, the fact of the matter is that on the single most important decision about Ukraine that has to do with stopping Russian aggression, Trump got it right, and Obama and all of his so-called experts on Ukraine couldn't get it done. And you could say, well, Buck, it's Obama's choice. They couldn't override him. Well, they, they really couldn't convince him of this one? Did they try that hard? Because it mattered a lot. Ah, but you won't hear that, will you? That Trump policy is more pro-Ukrainian where it counts and how it matters. Just like you won't hear about how Trump was the one who blew up uh, a couple of hundred Russian mercenaries in the desert for attacking our Kurdish allies. But all oh, the Kurds abandoned. We've abandoned all the Kurds. They're all the whole Middle East is going to be a war and genocide. Remember all that stuff? When was the last time you heard about the Kurds, folks? Is there a genocide happening? No? Oh, no, Buck. You, you're, you don't, that's, it could, any day now it's going to happen. Well, if you wait long enough in the Middle East in any region, there's going to be violence to speak of. So I just, can I get a timeline here for when Trump pulling 50 U.S. soldiers out of one part of a country that's been in the midst of a civil war that's killed 500,000 people? Can we get a timeline for when that was clearly not the most catastrophic, horrible decision ever made in foreign policy? Because I think we're already there, folks. But, oh my gosh, ISIS is going to rebound. Really, ISIS is going to rebound? Because the Assad regime and the Russians and the Turks, they all have an interest in, well, the Turks, it's a little little more complicated. But the Assad regime and the Russians, uh, they, they don't want an, they don't, an ISIS resurgence. Do we want them to be fighting ISIS? Or we do, do we want to be fighting ISIS? You know, this is, you, the people think that they've studied and understood the Middle East and they forget that, it's the people who live there who have to ultimately do the fighting. We can't be doing it for them. We're not going to stay forever. Although people seem to want to do that in Afghanistan. I just, I just note on different areas of foreign policy, the narrative is never to give credit for Donald Trump on things where he clearly has been better than his predecessor. And there's, there's no question. There's no question that he's been better than his predecessor, uh, Barack Obama, in fighting the Islamic State. Just look at the numbers. Look at how rapidly ISIS got rolled up in Syria and also, by the way, that we can stop calling it ISIL. President Obama wanted to call it ISIL. We're going to stop him. We're going to stop him. ISIL's bad. We're just like, why are we calling them ISIL? No one called them that. Obama called them that. And his executive branch, and I know this because I had friends in the intel community who were telling me that it was it was ISIL was what they were insisting on calling it. The rest of the, you know, 99% of the rest of the world is like ISIS. Let's just keep it simple here. Iraq and Syria, not Iraq and Sham, the greater Levant era. It was all just, I had said this all up. People had this whole theory about how it was about uh, Israel and negating. No, no, no. It was just trying to be pedantic. They were just trying to show, you know, that was a, it was a, a little thing meant to indicate that the person using ISIL instead of ISIS was really more knowledgeable about the situation over there. You know, I even knew some people were calling it Dash because they wanted to use the Arabic acronym. And then I'd say, do you speak Arabic? Because... The answer is no, I don't think you should be using the Arabic acronym for it. Speak American. 
So here we have uh, the Ukraine policy dispute playing out again. We find out that the an, another day of this, we find out that uh, Ivanovich, now that I say the name properly, I, I, apparently I'm really having fun with it, um, had con- contacted a Democrat staffer in a timeline and in a way, well, one, that which is a strange thing to do. Why would this person in the State Department have contact with a Democrat staffer in the hell? I worked for the CIA for, what, five years? I never never just wrote some email to a, now, this is a State Department person, but I'm just saying, why would somebody who's in the federal government in this way just fire off an email to a staffer about the sensitive matter? Hmm. Right? Curious, is it? You know, oh, but the journos out there are not going to dig into this one. Uh, no, 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 no reason to dig into this one. Why would they want to do that? Um, my friends, what I've been saying to you all along is increasingly going to be uh, obviously the case. And that is uh, that they use this, that really the whole Ukraine thing was just meant to get the impeachment proceeding started. It was the excuse to start it. The, the, I think what you're going to find is that this impeachment situation, it's a little bit like pretending that General Flynn violated the Logan Act so you can get him on, which no, which is not serious. There's no real charge there and it would never happen. But they really wanted to get him on lying or, you know, whatever, just to trap him and say, oh, it's such a serious crime to lie to the FBI. Oh, they changed his 302, by the way. They had Lisa Page. They've, now this has been admitted. And I know I'm jumping around here, but it's Friday, so it's my party and I'll jump around if I want to. Um, Lisa Page, the lawyer with Strzok, the ones that are like, oh my gosh, Trump is going to be president. I can smell the Trump supporters. Oh, we're Hillary voters. Hillary's great. I mean, anybody who thinks that Hillary is some fantastic person and that that, that alone is reason to vote for her over Trump, I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? Oh yeah, Hillary. Paragon of virtue, great person. People I know who have spent a lot of time around her say she's not even she's not even nice. She's not even a nice person. But oh yeah, she's one. She's great. She's wonderful. Just vote for her. So Lisa Page, the uh, senior FBI lawyer, um, changed the uh, three. You know, had some hand in editing General Flynn's three hundred two, and now the position of the federal government involved in this prosecution. You know, these prosecutors who remember they want to. It's often partisan, but also within the federal federal bureaucracy, there are people who just want to defend the institution at all costs. So that can also f- factor into this. But they changed Flynn's 302, and now we're being told, well, he pleaded guilty, though. Well, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have pleaded guilty if, you know, if the cops show up, they sit down, they're like, hey, you better take a plea, you know, the prosecutor rather sits down and says, hey, you better take a plea because uh, we have a we have a signed confession with your signature on it. And and you're like, wait, what? I, I don't remember signing that. They're like, yeah, you just you walked in here and we have video of you and you signed it. And maybe you were, you know, I don't know, maybe you were drunk or something. You're high, but you signed this thing. Here's a signed confession. And it's already been, you know, may, maybe at that point you'd say, uh, OK, I guess I have to take a plea deal here. <laughs> right. I mean, what's your other. And then if you found it afterwards, oh, no, it's fake. Right. You didn't sign this. You weren't sleepwalking and signed a confession. Shouldn't you be able to retract that plea deal? I mean, that would seem to be a logical, unjust approach, but they're not looking for logical and just here. Uh, they set up General Flynn. I mean, General Flynn should be uh, all charges. I mean, rather, the whole case against him should be dropped. He should be exonerated. The whole thing should go away. It's, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace to our justice system, the whole thing. But then again, so is the Mueller probe. So at this point, how much more justice system disgrace can we take before we say, you know, enough's enough? 
Oh, but speaking of perjury, see, I'm bringing it back now, bringing it back full circle. That's how we roll here in the Freedom Hunt. Speaking of full circle, um, why is Yovanovitch able to lie under oath? I mean, that, that, that seems to be what, what has been admitted here, that she did have contact. Um, Representative Zeldin said, it is greatly concerning that Ambassador Yovanovitch didn't answer my question as honestly as she should have, especially under oath. Roger Stone right now is in a trial for lying, apparently, to the FBI or you know, allegedly lying to federal authorities about non-crimes that no one really doesn't matter, that don't mean anything. They want to send him to prison, though, for years. So if Roger Stone can get sent to prison for lying you know, under oath or lying to federal authorities, if General Flynn, after 30 years of military service, could get sent to prison for lying, is uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch? Oh, because she's hashtag resistance and we all know it. Is that why she doesn't get in trouble for this? One of the biggest threats. We often hear from the Democrats. We hear from them about how there's such an undermining of our institutions. One of the biggest threats to the integrity of our institutions of government is the growing perception, and it's real and it is rooted in reality, a growing perception that we have a two-tiered justice system, one for people on the right and one for people on the left. It's a big problem. I never heard any discussion in my entire tenure as vice president about the 25th Amendment. And, And why would I? The very notion of this anonymous who wrote an editorial now, it's reported that they've written a book, is just appalling to me. Uh, If if there's someone in our administration or served in our administration that doesn't support this president, doesn't support his agenda, they should do the honorable thing and resign. Isn't that pretty straightforward from the vice president there? If there's somebody who really thinks that President Trump is a danger to the republic, a danger to all of us, shouldn't they not work for him and go out in public and say what needs to be said. By the way, look, look, at, look at Anthony Scaramucci. Is he some brave truth teller? I mean, we know that he got on the outs with Trump. Now all of a sudden the Mooch is like, hey, Trump's the worst. I hate him. He's terrible. I remember the Mooch going on. I, I sat next to him once at, on a Fox business show and he was Mr. You know, Donald Trump is amazing and he's going to transform politics in this country and he has a, a brilliant genius level instinct for uh, understanding American politics. And, so, you know, and then... All of a sudden, he's not White House comms director anymore. He's, yeah, Trump's the worst ever. He's terrible. But is, is, is the mooch so brave? Is, is everyone, is, is the mooch in danger because he criticizes Trump? Why can't the whistleblowers come out? So maybe I will call myself Christian genius, or Christian billionaire genius Buck Sexton, because I kind of like the, the sound of that, although only one of those three things is true. Um, you can probably all guess which one. But uh, that's what Kanye West has been telling people he might change his name to. He's also saying he might run for president in, I think, 2020 or 2024. I'm actually not sure which one it is. But I like the I like the uh, sound of Christian billionaire genius Buck Sexton. That would be kind of fun. At least it gives me something to aspire to. I could earn the name after calling myself the name down the line. Um, I, I also just wanted to point out something that you're not going to hear. Because, you know, I, I feel like I have to update you on some of the latest on this situation with uh you know all of these um all these different people who are coming forward to speak about impeachment these different ambassadors well here's one named a a career guy named george kent now kent was he said some stuff that was not 
you know, helpful for the, the Trump side of, of things, right? He, uh, he said that uh, the president's personal attorney sought to manipulate U.S. policy on Ukraine, on Ukraine and oust foreign ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. Guess what? The president can send whoever he wants to do whatever he wants on foreign policy. The president gets to do foreign policy. All these bureaucrats you don't like. Remember, bureaucrats don't like President Trump's foreign policy on Ukraine or or they're they're concerned about what he's going to do about it. Meanwhile, thanks to President Trump, they actually have missiles to stop the Russian tanks from running over their brothers in trench warfare in eastern Ukraine. Right. So who's the good guy here? I just. Oh, all the bureaucrats, the, the stuffy bureaucrats. Oh, we're working so hard on this issue, please. I, I see. I know these people. I worked the kind of people that do all the grandstanding about how important they are and how much the you know we matter. The U.S. foreign policy matters. The self-importance of the State Department is is just. I'm going to be honest. It's just vomit-inducing. Ugh. It's always. Ugh. The, the State Department could be a fifth of its current size, and. If you just had good people who worked hard and got things done, everything would be fine. Okay? It could be 20% of its current size, and we would not, the country would not be in dire straits. We might have like a few less unnecessary, you know, agricultural training programs in countries that, you know, are not thankful for the help we give them. Anyway, uh, George Ken, who's this, and he's this guy who is uh, a lifelong bureaucrat for the State Department. Here's what he had to say. In testimony, this is, you know, now the testimony is coming out. Question. At any time, was there discussion of perceived conflicts of interest, either on the part of the vice president, Biden, or his son? Answer. You're talking about a period leading up to his visit in December 2015? Well, Hunter Biden, he was first reported that he was on the board in mid-2014. Correct. And the vice president's involvement with Ukraine is pretty significant at that point in time, and it remained until he, you know, through 2016. Correct? Yes. And the question was, you know, were there any discussions of a perceived conflict of interest on the part of either Hunter Biden or the vice president? When I was the first time I was in Ukraine as acting deputy chief of mission in the period of mid-January to mid-February 2015, subsequent to me going into the deputy prosecutor general on February 3rd and demanding who took the bribe and how much it was to shut the case down against Zlochevsky, I became aware that Hunter Biden was on the board. I did not know that at the time. And when I was on a call with somebody on the vice president's staff, and I cannot recall who it was, just briefing on what was happening in Ukraine, I raised my concerns that I had heard that Hunter Biden was on the board of a company owned by somebody that the U.S. government had spent money trying to get tens of millions of dollars back. And that could create the perception of a conflict of interest. Oh, you don't say. Hmm. Hunter Biden? Conflict of interest? Daddy running Ukraine foreign policy? Huh. This State Department guy's putting all the puzzle pieces together, isn't he? Question. And what did the person on the other end of the line tell you? Remember, this is a State Department person talking about raising to the vice president's staff the problem of Hunter Biden. Here's what was said. The message that I recall hearing back was that the vice president's son, Bo, was dying of cancer, and there was no further bandwidth to deal with family-related issues at that time. Was that pretty much the end of it? That was the end of that conversation. Okay, that was in mid-2015. That would have been in February because, to the best of my recollection, Bo Biden died that spring. 
I then returned to Ukraine in August of 2015, and I believe he passed before then. So the only time that conversation could have happened is in the narrow window between January, February, 2015. And subsequent to that, did you ever think through with other State Department officials about whether we should try to get Hunter Biden to leave the board, or maybe we should get the vice president to transition his key responsibilities on Ukraine to some other U.S. official? No, it's easy in a conference room like this to have a considered discussion about things. In Ukraine at that time, we had a war with Russia occupation. We had an embassy staff going from 150 to 250 Americans, from no special forces U.S. government soldiers to close to 70 in country. Our assistance went from 130 million to nearly a billion, and we were working nearly nonstop. Ambassador Piat, I can tell you from working for him, would wake up between 4.50 and 5.01 a.m. because that's when I got the first email from him and went to bed because that's when I blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. Nonstop, 20 hours a day, seven days a week, right? No one's ever worked as hard in the history of the universe as this, these particular uh, diplomats do. I was in war zones with the federal government too, folks. I know what really goes on. So, yeah, all these State Department guys, 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Sure. Anyway, uh, the real reason I'm reading this transcript portion to you is just so we're all clear. The media's, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with Hunter Biden being on the board of the company, is just feigned stupidity. Nobody's that dumb. Everybody knows that what Hunter Biden did was gross. And gross enough that there would be justification to look into whether there was actual corruption, abuse of power, you could say, by Joe Biden on behalf of his son in these circumstances. You could at least justify an investigation of it. But instead, um, what we have is an entire media apparatus that is anti-Trump, just willing to look really dumb because it's easier to look dumb than have to explain this stuff to the American people. They'd rather uh, pretend and uh, speaking of, of looking dumb, I mean, I, I have said this before, I do believe, and there's some, there's some competition for sure, um, but I think that uh, Senator Maisie Hirono is, based on her public utterances, the, the dumbest elected official in the United States Congress. I, I think that that's probably, that's a, there's a strong case to be made that she said the dumbest things of anybody in Congress. I'm just, this is just one man's opinion. I tend to be right. Uh, here is what she says, though, about this whole uh, situation. Uh, play 17, please. The whistleblower's complaint, which first brought to light that the, the president uh, engaged in this kind of uh, what it turns out to be critical, has been collaborated by Taylor, by others. And so uh, here, here's the Republicans. You know, they just can't deal with the substance of what the president did. So. Uh, they're doing all kinds of things uh, to uh, to muddy the waters. They can't deal with the substance, so they want to muddy the waters. We've dealt with the substance every day for weeks now. Substance isn't changing. We know what the substance is. We know what was said on the phone call. Perceptions of policy from bureaucrats, from the period of time in question. I don't care. It doesn't matter. They're not telling us about anything that we need to know from them, especially because... There's this irony that Trump's policy on Ukraine was better for Ukraine than Obama's and all these people who work together. And there's all this connection, by the way. They think now that um, uh, Scaramella may have traveled, I believe, with Biden to Ukraine. I think I saw that in the Washington Examiner. I mean, this was like a it was like a cabal of Obama era officials that had one view of what should be going on in Ukraine. And there's also this question about CrowdStrike 
And whether, you know, why was CrowdStrike, which is Ukrainian funded, the only group that ever looked into the DNC server and the FBI never actually examined the servers? Is that a crazy thing to ask? Can I, can I get an answer about this? They're going to ask a private entity that's Ukrainian funded. I mean, that's why Trump brought that up on the call. And maybe there's maybe there's nothing to it. But you see, with Democrats, they think if they just shout loud enough and they're shrill and nasty enough, they can prevent people from just doing fact finding. How about we find out what happened? Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? We had to sit here and be lectured by crazy libs for over two years about how all the the special counsel, this is all by the book. This is all legitimate. No, it's all crap. The whole thing was garbage. And I was saying all along, I was right all along. It was a conspiracy to take down a, a president. And if there was anything that they could have produced, trust me, they would have. Because they went through everybody. Nobody got the benefit of the doubt in that process. Process crimes were thrown at people left and right. Turned up the heat on people. Uh, did real financial and, and psychological damage to lower level staffers in the White House who had to just get lawyers and deal with sleepless nights because they had to go in for, you know, with Mueller and his team, knowing that if they you know lied about what they had for breakfast yesterday, they're going to get thrown in prison. It's just crazy. Oh, but we can't find out about anything Ukraine related. That would be that would be terrible. Let's also understand, even if let's say that there was an announcement about this, this has gotten skipped over by everybody here. Let's just say that with the quid pro quo, oh, the quid pro quo. Let's just say for a second that it was followed through with or it really did happen, meaning that Zelensky announced that there was an investigation into Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, that whole situation. So let's assume that that actually was going on. That would be like a two day news cycle. The announcement of an investigation. You know what all the Democrats would say? There's nothing there. It's a partisan investigation. Who cares? They're not going to show up with anything. And if they didn't get anything from the investigation, that would be it. You know, the way that people are talking about this on the left, it's like it's like Donald Trump said, hey, we're going to arrange for like Hunter Biden to travel to Ukraine. And can you guys throw him in prison and like never let him get trial? You know, that's not what happened. The, the the way that the the, the hysteria runs, oh to invest foreign interference by investigating your opponent even if that had happened okay even if if that that had gone through does anyone really think that Democrats would have stopped supporting Joe Biden? Where is a joke, right? I mean, like they're gonna all of a sudden be like, oh well, because they're investigating this Ukraine situation, uh, I guess Trump wins the election. And now you might say, oh, but what about those independents? And that's where it'll really matter. Okay, but guess what? Politics is a rough business, and Donald Trump is currently has gone through a criminal proceeding meant to take him down that was based on lies for two years, and now is going through a political proceeding meant to destroy his presidency, and yet they still haven't been able to stop him. So maybe this is uh, going through this gauntlet is, I think, forging him as an even stronger candidate in this whole process or a stronger president, um, somebody who is just unflappable. I mean, you cannot you cannot keep this guy uh, keep this guy down. It's really remarkable. So anyway, just some some additional thoughts on this. You know, we have more oh, more bureaucrats, more people are going to come out from the State Department and there'll be targeted leaks of different information. But it's all telling us this is why Amazing Hirono's thing, I think, is such garbage, because the substance, we already know what the substance is. They just keep trying to say, hey, but do you see this thing that happened that he said on the. Yeah, we know. I don't care. Not going to care. They're not going to make me care by repeating it every day, which seems to be the plan. Although, as I said, they're going to switch. They're going to switch into something else because this isn't going to cut it. 
It's just not enough. It's not it's not damaging enough, this narrative that they've concocted. It's not going to get it done. If you held a vote today in the House, would you vote to impeach this president, impeach this president? Well, that question I won't answer because I do have to keep an open mind and an appearance of an open mind. Mm -hmm. I have said that the evidence is pretty damning. Oh, yeah. He's keeping an open mind. All right. Nadler there. No, he he wouldn't. He wouldn't vote to impeach the president. Oh, of course not. No, no, No way. No way he would do that. I mean, come on. This is what I this is one of the things that bothers me so much about Democrats. Like they'll assume assume that we're all so stupid. Yeah, sure. Sure. He's he's still waiting to see that evidence come in before he makes up his mind. You know, same thing with like, you know, Pelosi and Schiff and all the rest. And they're still waiting for the evidence. This is all based on the facts. This isn't this isn't a political narrative that's driving their perception of the facts. It really is. Um, it really is stunning to watch them. Just the the dishonesty and the the disingenuousness of all of this. And I would like to think, I would like to believe that the American people understand really what's going on. Enough, I have to say enough America, because there are a lot of it, 40 to 45% of the country, I really believe this, wouldn't care if Donald Trump were being impeached based on evidence that they knew to be fraudulent. They would not, that wouldn't bother them. If If they knew that they somebody had you know fabricated i mean and i can't really walk you through how this analogy would work but i'm just saying if, if they they don't they don't care what it is 40 to 45 percent of the country of the voting public all democrats obviously they just want trump gone it, it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter what the explanation the explanations and the process and all this is just trying to hope to get republican defectors and uh create enough support among independents that the democrats have a shot at regaining more power in the next election. But, I mean, the, the Democrats, this is all, they're not sitting around, you know, n- none of the leftists, none of the psychopaths who were protesting the event I went to last night, I mean, none of these people are sitting around saying, well, I, I really don't know if Donald Trump should be impeached. We, we need to let the process play out. Yeah, sure, sure. Remember? That was what they were saying about Mueller until Mueller didn't give them what they wanted, and then it was, oh, oh Mueller, I move right to impeachment right away. These people are, are nuts. By the way, Senator John Kennedy, um, he he had some thoughts on what Pelosi is doing here, really what the precedent is that Nancy Pelosi is setting. Producer Mark, would you play clip five, please? She is going to elevate partisan impeachment to the new normal so that henceforth, when we have a, a new president and we will have a Democratic president someday, uh, many Republicans are going to feel obligated to impeach the Democratic president because they don't agree with his or her politics. And I don't think that's right. I, I just don't think that's right. It's a little bit like the, the nullification that can happen in states when if you just get a private, you know, enough private interest groups together or just interest groups uh, who want to recall somebody, you know, recall elections. Uh well, you know what? You know, Total Recall, the original, was actually a pretty good watchful movie. The remake was terrible, which made me sad. You know why it made me sad, Producer Mark? Why, Cause Buck? Because Jess, Jessica Biel was in it, I believe, before she married Justin Timberlake. So she was still on the market at that time. So there was hope. And now you are you have no hope anymore? No. I mean, once she marries somebody like Timberlake, I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, you know. Even I think he's dreamy. 
Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was even good in the social network, which was which was uh, pretty impressive. So anyway, I, I think that uh, recall elections, for example, can be a way where, yeah, I mean, if someone's doing a horrible, I understand why it exists, but, you know, it's a little bit like jury nullification. Jury nullification is a real thing. It's also an extreme thing. It's also should be a last resort and impeaching a president should be a last resort as well. And anyone who is telling you that this, what's going on right now with President Trump is a last resort is a liar. It's just not. They've been wanting to do this all along. It's all pretextual. It's all based on some excuse that they'll find in order to make it seem like they haven't been trying to do this all along. But it's just, it is just lies, my friends. It is just lies. And you know it, and I know it, but... Democrats have gotten very, very comfortable with that, so I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. All right, let's check in on the crazy Democrat candidates, folks. I feel like I feel like we haven't done much of that. We haven't done any of it really today. I've just been getting an impeachment and telling you about, you know, psycho Antifa wannabes. They're just jealous that Buck pulled off the tuck so well. What can I say? 007 Buck, baby. That's how we roll. Uh, we have... Uh, by the way, if you haven't, you gotta you guys gotta follow me on Instagram. I, I need more Team Buck following on Instagram. I, I post photos from this stuff. I post some on Facebook too, but Instagram now is where the the photos usually go. So if you want to see the event last night, uh, you should definitely uh, follow me. Just Buck Sexton on Instagram. It's very easy. All right, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Let's start with Elizabeth Warren. Although, do we have Crazy Bernie? Bernie Sanders getting crazier and crazier. Where is this here? Yeah, I think we might have Bernie in here somewhere. Um, we do have Warren for sure talking about Elizabeth Warren wants, she just wants to take the wealth from the rich people and just wants to pay for everything else for everybody else. Uh, here's her telling us all that rich people are, and remember, she's rich. She's millionaire rich. So she's not billionaire rich. And millionaire rich is like you still have to think about things, you know. I mean, I'd love to be millionaire rich first someday. I've never experienced this. But billionaire rich, although I am, as producer Mark will tell you, perhaps going to legally change my name to Christian Billionaire Genius Buck. Um, and maybe that should just Christian Billionaire Genius Buck. You can make that the show title today. I'll just Yeah, sure. You know but I mean? if you're a billionaire, I'm not getting paid enough. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Well. Uh, sorry, we'll have to up the salary. But uh it is it is technically fake news that I'm a Christian billionaire genius. But uh, Elizabeth Warren is out there saying that rich people are bad. Play 15, producer Mark. When you see a government that works great for those with money and is not working so well for much of anyone else, that is corruption, pure and simple, and we need to call it out for what it is. When you see a government that works for people with money and is not working so well, for much of anyone else, that is corruption, pure and simple. Uh, what does that mean? You know, that's my favorite question on the show. What does that mean? The government work. How, the, the government has a almost trillion dollar welfare budget, right? That spends almost a trillion dollars on welfare, depending on how you calculate welfare. Uh, I think it's like eight hundred billion a year. Um. Where exactly is that? I mean, the government in what way works for rich people? I'm not saying that that's not that there's not 
ways the system is rigged. It's definitely true. Financial system, it's not fair. There's stuff that goes on that's that's bad and dirty. But I would like a little more specifics than just the class warfare, envy, I don't like the rich people stuff from Elizabeth Warren. I think that we could ask for a little bit more specificity than she's giving us here. Oh, that's right. Wealth tax time, baby. Now, as a conservative, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, wealth tax wouldn't affect me, so woohoo, right, producer Mark? Oh, wealth tax, they're going to get up in our bank accounts? I don't think so. We don't have to worry about that. Good. No new taxes for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boom. Robin Hood, baby. Take from the rich. Give to the poor. What? Oh, important. What is the best version, live action or animated, Robin Hood of all time? There's only one answer to this question, but let's see if you get it. The best version hmm. of Robin Hood, the tale of all time. Yeah, you got to go with the animated one, right? Correct. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Producer Mark gets it done. The Disney animated. Do, 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 I mean, do, nothing's do, better than do, most of the do, Disney animated movies. Do, do, do. Remember, that's like, uh, yeah. is that the sheriff from Nottingham that singing that little little tune? I think so. Do, 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 it's been a while do, do, since do, I've watched do, do. it. Yeah, yeah, anyway, it's great. <laughs> If your kids haven't seen it, that's one of the best. That's an underrated Disney movie. Because here's the thing. Uh, the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. Why can everyone else have a British accent, but he can't? He's like, yes, I am Robin Hood. And I speak in a monotone because I'm Kevin Costner. He doesn't He doesn't have a British accent in the movie. Yeah. It's like they but... took some guy from, you know, central Illinois and put him in, uh, you know, 13th century England or whatever, Robin. It'd be Hood's like if James be. Bond spoke with an American accent. Yeah, exactly. Be, hey, I'm James Bond, baby. Yeah. Here I am. Look at my tux. It's New not, Yorker James Bond. New Yorker James Bond. I like hot dogs, football, tuxedos, the Mets. Clearly that James Bond would like the Mets. What is, what is that supposed to mean, Buck? Yeah, we know what's up. We know, we know, we know. There's, a, there's a certain certain New Yorkers like the Yankees and certain New Yorkers like the Mets. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's, it's a thing. I'm a Mets fan, Buck. <laughs> I know he is. I like uh -huh. to just, we like to poke producer Mark a little bit. So uh, anyway, the uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is, is bad. Men in Tights is reasonably entertaining. It's actually Dave Chappelle back in the day. It was in Robin Hood Men in Tights. All right. Sorry, I got totally sidetracked from Elizabeth Warren. Wealth tax. There we go. Back on track now. So the thing about a wealth tax, as a conservative, I understand that the wealth tax is problematic in a lot of ways. Um, but before I get into why the wealth tax is problematic, let me say that the I always tell you when I get a little status tingle, you know, a little, I get a little thrill up the leg of statism or something or statism is thrilling up my leg, whatever you understand. I, I always know when I'm veering into that like. Like when they ban smoking in places, I'm like, I know it's big government, but stinks for all of you who like to smoke in the public places. Like, and I know that that should be private, private places to be able, but they regulate it and they say can't do it. And I like it, even though I know that technically it's not a free market liberal, liberal, or I should say a liberty based is what I liberal. Buck had a long night. Buck, his, his voice is a little bit scratchy. and My brain's not foggy, though. I'm not having like a, not having like a Biden moment here or anything. Um, see, that's, we should call it, call it a Biden moment when you forget where you are, when you're just sort of blabbering incoherently about something. Uh, 
So I like the idea that at least a wealth tax, because the super rich libs, and wealth tax is bad. Don't, you know, people can cut this and be like, fuck, you said you like a wealth tax. No, I don't like a wealth tax. But there are some parts of that I kind of like. Because the problem you have with a lot of libs is that they love to talk about how much they want to pay higher taxes. They're all fine with it. And, you know, you look at somebody like uh, like John Kerry when he was running for president, I think back in 2004, right? Think about that. John Kerry was a Democrat nominee for president. Wow. That guy. Yes, I'm really boring and I talk like this all the time. And I've been fortunate to marry two incredibly wealthy women, one after the other. And uh, John Kerry. Uh, Man, my John Kerry is actually kind of good. I haven't pulled that one out in a while. I was like, I felt like John Kerry was in the room. So... Some of you are like, boo, false. Uh, John Kerry, when he was running for president, I think he had something like $7 million in income from investments and things. So uh, like not from labor, but just from investment income. And I think he paid 10 or 12 or 15% because there were all these incentives and all this stuff that was structured. He paid a, a shockingly low tax rate on the $7 million. And keep in mind, they're not touching any of the principle of his overall wealth. So, of course, for people like that, they're like, yeah, 50% tax rate, whatever. Their bills are already paid because of super rich people don't have to care about the tax rate all that much. The tax rate on income, my friends, they don't have to care about because their expenses are already all covered and they, but they are covered by what they can accumulate just from investment income, essentially. Even though right now bank accounts, you don't get anything. I mean, this is... I will say, you know, from Bannon last night, one of the best things that he said at the at the speech, and he he went into how the government policy, and this is where this is true, government policy has because of uh, quantitative easing and and this enormous Fed balance sheet and the acquisition of all this all this cash by the federal government to to use and then distribute to printing money. I mean, they don't actually print it, but to, to put money out in the marketplace. Uh, what it means is that's why you can't get any percentage on your savings that's worth worth a damn anymore. You can't, you know, there were times when you could get, and some of you listening know this because you got it, and I've never been alive with it, but you would get, you know, seven, yeah, even I think at one point it went as high. Well, I don't know. I don't want to give you a number because I'll be wrong, but I know seven, eight, nine percent on a, on a savings account you could get back at one point. Now, there was higher inflation, obviously, but still, um, you know, now you can't get any money on that stuff, and that means that the and money goes into the into the stock market in particular. Inflated people who have assets, those assets get inflated. They do well, but people who are trying to save money, pay for essentials, they are, uh, you know, you're transferring money from uh, from people who are at the lower end of the scale, who are just trying to get ahead and build some economic security. People who are at the very top of the scale. That's a real economic phenomenon. Bannon was talking about it last night, uh, and that's something that we we should not forget. You know, Elizabeth Warren, look, some Democrats, some of the stuff they talk about is real. There there are there is a growing uh, gap between rich and poor in this country. I mean, there are some phenomena that they they discuss that are we need to discuss, too, because it's real. But we just have better ideas about how to fix it. But a wealth tax affects the people that like to walk around being, oh, I don't care how high my tax. Everybody should pay higher taxes. Oh, really? All of a sudden, the really rich people start, and of course, the super rich libs out there start to say, oh, no, you can't take a percentage of my overall assets. Because that starts to feel like they're actually, they're, they're feeling that. It feels like they're feeling it. 
<laughs> That's the way you could say it. It feels like they take note of it. And here's uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren doing her full uh, Marxist class warfare routine. Uh, play clip 16, please. And here's the thing. You may have heard some billionaires on TV recently crying about that two-cent wealth tax. Oh, but we ask the top one-tenth of one percent to pitch in two cents on their fortunes. We can invest in an entire generation. Uh, two-cent wealth tax? I'm assuming she means two. Oh, I'm assuming she means two percent. Uh, what, what exactly is her... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Annual on 2%. Yeah, that's what it, of course. Two cents. Why she says it's 2%. She's calling it two cent. That's why I I don't, I guess she's trying to be clever with, ah, 2% wealth tax. Uh, 2% on every dollar of net worth above $50 million. What this would do is it would, over time, it would shrink very large fortunes. That is true. It would. And people who right now are very haughty about how they they don't care what their tax rate is, they would start to care. All of a sudden, there would be a, a change. There would be a shift in their thinking. And so if, if for no other reason than that, I kind of like it. I kind of like it because... Now, I do not <laughs> just I do not support a wealth tax, but I like the aspect of it where it shows some of the hypocrisy. It, it shakes, rattles up a little bit uh, the people that love to talk about, oh, I wish I could pay more in taxes. First of all, those people never just... They can send as much money as they want to the federal government. If you want to give the federal government every dollar you have, you can do that. And I'm sure there are some leftists who would say, that's the patriotic thing to do. Give every dollar you have to the government so that the Democrats can redistribute it to illegal aliens, right? I mean, that's they're great with that. They think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, but the wealth tax Elizabeth Warren is bringing up is that's where Wall Street is all of a sudden starting to turn on her. This is where people are seeing things differently about Elizabeth Warren than they had in the past. Um, she's... Every bit as radical as Bernie, she just comes across as less radical in her demeanor. But it's really just a style thing. It's not a substance thing. She has all of Bernie's radicalism and then some. And we should not forget that as we continue to think about which Democrat, which Democrat do we really want to have squaring off against President Trump? That's that's an interesting question at this point. I don't I don't have a clear answer in mind other than I I feel like I'm quite confident that Bernie Sanders would lose. But I don't know. Maybe Biden is more likely to lose than Sanders. I think it's important for the nation to raise them and raise $15 an hour over the next several years. Is that possible, though? Is it, is, it is possible. You know, what happened was when Barack and I were in office, what happened was we pushed it and a number of states came along and responded to that push. And there's a number of states now there's $15 minimum wage that's phased in. And the argument is going to cost jobs is not true. Just take a look at corporate profits out there. The idea they can't pay for 15 bucks an hour is just, not, is just not accurate. And look, it's all about giving people some dignity. There has to be the ability to be able to have health care, education, be able to live a decent life. Nobody should be working 40 hours a week and, and being paid was below the poverty level. It's just not right in my opinion. Now, I know this is a very popular issue, left and right. People like minimum wage. They like raising minimum wage. And we never seem to get past this. Um, it's a little bit like the intractable nature of the pay gap 
between men and women, which is not what people say it is. The pay gap is a lie. You keep we have to keep coming back to this. No, women do not make you know uh, seventy seven cents in the dollar for doing the same work at the same level, the same stuff. Is that's not true. It's just not. But people like to say it. And on minimum wage, I know this is where because I feel that too. I mean, I, I want people to get well paid. I mean, I. I Look, anybody who shows up and does an honest job for an honest wage deserves respect, and and I and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I think that, you know, one of the things about America that makes us Americans is that if you show up and you're doing an honest job for an honest wage, it's it's every bit as respectable as any other job anyone's doing for a ton of money or famous or whatever it may be. And that's that's part of our that is part of our American ethos. That is part of our American culture. But I also understand economics a little bit. Better than Bernie Sanders and better than Joe Biden, that's for sure. And I know that the studies they've done on this are very clear. Minimum wage, when you raise it, some people do make more money. Some people's hours are cut back. Some people's jobs are cut. That's just your your the, the price is the price. I always say this. The central planners pretend that's not the case. The price is the price. The market sets the price. Paying somebody is the price for their labor. And there are factors that go into that that are not just, we think this would be a good amount of money for you to make. And it's also the case that it makes it harder for people to get into the workforce. It increases automation. I mean, there's all these, there are all these things that happen. You raise minimum wage and people feel good about it. And there are some people who will be, you know, in, in that margin of, okay, the company can pay a little bit more or they, it's good PR for them. So they'll just, they'll pass on the cost to consumers. There's all these different, but ultimately you're just mandating, the government is mandating that the money's going from one place and into another. That's what's happening here. There's, there's, not, there's not some magic money tree that they can just shake and the money comes down for all the people and everything is fine. But everyone, this is, you know, Republicans lose on this issue. People like the minimum wage to get to be higher. No one wants to hear from the, the nerdy economists who actually crunch the numbers. who will tell you that it doesn't do, it does not do what people say it will do. There are costs and there are drawbacks, but, you know, I know I sound like Buck the Grinch. The whistleblower whose complaint has now led to impeachment hearings. Um, the whole point of releasing a name is to intimidate someone, to threaten someone, uh, and to scare other people from coming out. That's something that dictators do. I've lived in China. I've seen that firsthand. That's not what America does. That's not who we do. We don't. We stand by our people. Why did you want to release the That's name? I think the reality of the answer is the whistleblower's name was on a little website called The Drudge Report a couple of days ago. It was in Real, Real Clear Politics. I literally quote tweeted an article that had the guy's name in the title of the article. So that whole thing is nonsense. But I, I wish the outrage would be equal. I mean, there was no outrage when, you know, my family got an exploding letter of, you know, with white powder substance in it. You know, they're protecting a guy, you know, in the CIA and the great outrage. But when your family gets something, it's there. And that's a big part of the book, which is it's not a level playing field in terms of he, outrage. He, we do he, live in an outrage but, culture. But he, we do live in an outrage culture, that's for sure. And it was an outrage how much stupid stuff was said on The View yesterday by some of those co-hosts. First of all, we've, we went over, remember, you had Sonny Hostin saying that it was a crime, which she's, don't have her as your defense attorney. That much, I assure you, a bad idea. Not, not a good lawyer, okay? You're not going to prison in any normal circumstance, in any normal court in this country, because you 
shared a news article that was freely published that you just happened to share online. That that does not happen. Not yet, at least in this country. Uh, but even uh, Abby Huntsman there, who I remember when she worked at Fox, I thought she was kind of supposed to be a conservative. Is Abby Huntsman just... Is she whatever she has to be for the job she's in at that time? Is that where her ideology lies? I think so. So, uh, you know, the Huntsman, Romney, you get some of these folks who are na- Republican names uh, out there, Republican dynasties, who don't seem all that concerned with helping out Republicans sometimes. <laughs> seem much more concerned with, well, what's going to help me? At any point in time. Uh, but her, her, no, no, look, I, I don't, I'm surprised that she's actually on an opinion show because I've never really heard her share much in the way of opinions. But she, she said here that, you know, this is meant to intimidate, to threaten someone. First of all, Don Jr. didn't release the name of the person. But beyond that, for a second, um, she brought up dictators. That's what dictators do. They, they out people who are whistleblowers in the government. You know what else dictators do? Dictators, Hold secret trials. Dictators don't have to present evidence for public scrutiny. Dictators will take sworn testimony or just testimony from anonymous sources and use that as the only justification necessary to punish someone, to destroy someone. Dictators do that, too. Who's doing that right now? And ain't Trump. It's not the Republicans. It's just a a particularly stupid moment there and as i keep saying to you this the whistleblower legally does not have the expectation of of complete and utter privacy the the whistleblower statute is out there to protect people from retaliation it is not meant to be a a cover so that someone cannot be uh that they can engage in a political debate from behind the cover of anonymity look at democrats doing this folks this is now a new game they're playing got the anonymous book which is apparently terrible I mean, there's like, because this guy writes this anonymous book is the same thing, the same problem you have with the uh, the whistleblower who won't subject himself to scrutiny. How can we test the merit of any of these claims? I mean, let's just let's take all the politics out of this for a second. If I said to you, if I said to you that uh, your your business partner is stealing from you, right? If I if, I, if you and I my dear and beloved audience, if we were having a conversation, you and I knew you, and I said, look, I know your business partner is stealing from you. And you said, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, I just know. And I wouldn't give you any more information than that. Would you be right to act on that? Would you be right to go and confront your business partner and say, hey, are you stealing from me? No. If your business, and, and if you asked me and I said, well, uh, it turns out that I'm really good friends with your business partner's accountant and he's worried and he's going to the feds because there's some embezzling going on here. Then you might say, OK, I got a problem here. Right. But how can you know without me giving you that critical piece of information? What if I said your business partner stealing from you and you said, well, and I said, well, I a guy this actually happened once. A guy came up to me in a wizard hat, serious, like a wizard, you know, like like uh, Harry Potter. And he wanted to uh, tell my fortune, and he just sat next to me and started telling me what's going to happen in my future. If I told you that guy, random wizard walking around to the park guy, who claimed to be able to see the future, that he told me that your business partner is stealing from you, you'd probably say, I don't think I'm that worried about my business partner stealing from me. How can you assess the credibility of information without these necessary facts? You can't. 
Why am I, you know, why am I telling you this thing? What ba- on what basis am I telling you this thing? The anonymous book that's out there right now comes from somebody who won't give the details about obviously himself or herself, but even beyond that, um, won't give specifics enough about the incidents in question because doesn't want to be outed by, you know, what you get into certain conversations in certain places in the White House, there's only a small group of people that were in the room and they're going to be able to figure out, you know, they're going to find out who the mole is essentially, right? They're going to find out who the leaky, leaky member of the team is with this book. So you don't know who the person is and they won't give any details to prove that what they say they heard or what they say happened, happened, but we're just supposed to believe them? Is that, the, is that the country you want to live in? Anonymous allegations that you're supposed to make decisions, momentous decisions on, and you're not allowed to ask for more information. No. The, the willingness for journalists here to abandon transparency and the, uh, you know, the, their supposed desire for transparency and their dogged, unrelenting search for the truth all the time is appalling. It's appalling. By the way, those are those are things that are generally fake. Uh, Most people who I know who are journalists really don't show up saying, I just want to I just want to break a story that's a big story on a thing. Most journalists that I know are I want to break a big story that hurts the other team. That's the real goal. Because that's how people that's how your audience in, in mainstream journalism, that's how they come to love you. When you do something that takes down a Republican, takes down somebody who opposes the worldview that you think you uh, you deserve to have, you deserve to live in a place where that worldview is constantly reflected back to you. So, no, this this is uh, it's uh, it is it is troubling stuff to see this, but nonetheless, it is the view, I guess. So, so there is uh, there is that aspect of it. I guess we shouldn't think that the view is going to give us. A great legal analysis. Uh, I don't think anybody would expect that. But also just that this is a, supposed to be a reflection of mainstream, even Democrat, perception of things. Now now the whistleblower is supposed to be anonymous. We're supposed to believe that the media is not all in the tank for this whole whistleblower situation. It forces us to ask the question repeatedly, how dumb do they really think we are? How dumb do they think we are? The answer is r- really dumb, it seems which makes me kind of annoyed. I think everybody should be a little more annoyed about this. Special treat for all of you out in a radio podcast and Pluto TV land. My man, Jesse Kelly, host of The Jesse Kelly Show, which is a great radio show down in KPRC Houston. Also, my uh, counterpart here on The First, Channel 248, Pluto TV. Mr. Jesse Kelly, how are you, sir? It's Friday, and I got one more show of each this week, so I'm just all right, my man. There we go. What's new out there? Is it it the Bloomberg news today? I I find this to be hilarious. Well, this This isn't – I just want to be clear. This is not technically Bloomberg's announcement, but I will take a little trip down Bloomberg memory lane if I can with you. Producer Mark, would you do me a favor and play clip 24, please? Let me summarize today's announcement for our Spanish-speaking New Yorkers. Le pedimos a todos los New Yorkeños que se mentagan informados sobre el huracán Sandy. You remember when when Bloomberg would go into his and people call him Senor Bloombergito and he, all of a sudden he was he was doing his Bloombergian Spanish? 
He's, and like, let me he's tell like, you something. As, as a Texan, that is the worst Spanglish I've ever I, like. He says it like such a New Yorker in Toto. And, and, no, no, no mas, margaritas, uh, estoy aquí. Uh, I don't speak much Spanish, but I think I speak as much... Uh, as as much Spanish as Mayor Bloombergito. I just thought it was great. Like, why not have somebody else just come up and translate for him? No, he wanted to do it himself. He's like, Mayor Bloomberg, uh, the, you know, es, es muy caliente. Uh, <laughs> it was good you know, he He cracks me up because, and, and I realized he was a better mayor than de Blasio. He is. was a much better mayor. I must be honest with you. He was. But, but it's this, it, 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 look, you're a resident, again, of New York City, so maybe you can speak to this, and you know that I love New York City, so don't everybody scream at me, I love your town, but there's something about these New York City mayors, they rise to be New York City mayors, and they're unlikable jerks, you know, they have that New York City, screw you, everybody's stupid attitude, and then they take that power and think, I could be president. I mean, what is de Blasio doing running for president? That guy's a jerk. Yeah, well, they, they uh, really think that they're mayor of America is what happens. You they know, do. It's no they longer do. mayor it's of a city. It's the same way, and I realize he's a big success, he was a good mayor. That guy, you sit down in one interview and you're like, that guy, I feel like he's yelling at me, I feel like he's looking down at me, that guy can't be president. Well, look, I mean, also, everyone's got to remember that a mayor, you know, mayors aren't generally dealing with weighty constitutional issues, dealing with issues of war and peace. They're not deploying soldiers abroad. They're not, you know, you know, mayors, it's like, you know, keep, keep make sure the trash is getting picked up. Don't let the city budget run too far in the red and collapse. Don't, you know, upset and undermine your law, you know, police and law enforcement. I mean, there's like, it's a, you know, it's like a managerial job, you know. I mean, it's something that if you just don't be an idiot, and and De Blasio can't even manage that, and you'll pretty much be okay as a mayor. But there are a lot of idiot mayors, unfortunately. Oh, there are, and plus it's New York City, and everything's so corrupt. And you know what? I kind of love that. It's part of the charm of New York City. But everybody from New York City that's risen to positions of power there has so much baggage. It's just—it's it's really tough to be president from there. Now, I want to ask you about the uh, the ABC Robach situation, right? Because not—I mean, I, first off, what's what's your sense of the willingness of the media to kill a story like that, uh, ABC News? But then also, I think Tucker called it a cartel, which he just beat me to it. I was going to refer to it as a cartel, too. ABC, CBS, NBC, they all like have got each other's backs. Like They all want to just keep this little fiefdom of we're the elite broadcast news networks when in reality, I mean, it's all just a bunch of libs saying the same things to each other and getting overpaid. Well, it's, I mean, now this story has more of a human element to it than other stories, in my opinion, just because I mean, we lose sight of the fact we all do. There are real uh, underage teenage girls in this who had their lives destroyed by this freaking monster, and we shouldn't forget about that. I mean, well, it's fun to make fun of the media and stuff, but we shouldn't forget about the fact that they're dropping the ball on this or just flat out hiding this issue. It costs people their lives. I mean, it costs people the quality of their lives, so there's that. But to your greater point, that's what we've seen since Trump got into office is the media never a moment, never even a brief moment of accountability, of holding each other or themselves accountable. They all just locked arms and circled the wagons and decided that they are the First Amendment warriors who are speaking truth to power and they're defending America and any attacks on them at all should be repelled. They never take a moment of accountability. But even, Jesse, it's amazing. It, it, 
it's a little, I mean, you and I take a, a similar view of, of these mainstream media outlets, but it's, it's amazing, to borrow your word, that CBS would do the bidding of a competitor, ABC, and fire, I believe it's a woman, and Megyn Kelly's actually sat down to interview her, fire a woman for blowing the whistle, essentially, on killing the Epstein story at ABC. CBS fired her for that. But it's not amazing when you consider the fact they consider themselves to be one entity. And so many of these people, the higher-ups there and the underlings there, as evidenced by the fact this lady was at ABC and then at CBS, they just move in between networks. They bounce from network to network. These CEOs are not sitting around thinking how they can cut the throat of their competitor. They're not at each other's throats. They consider themselves to be an essential part of the country, no different than the way the old guys used to do it. I mean, no different than, you know, when we started a war with, we started the Spanish-American War with New York City newspapers, you know, thinking they knew better than anyone else. This is the history of the press in the country. They They don't compete with each other. It's them versus republicanism. And Jesse, what do you think, though, you know, about the the whistleblower situation specifically, uh, the the willingness to keep that whistleblower sacrosanct, even though we all know his name, and then no media outlets even covered the project Veritas. I mean, I should say ABC, CBS, NBC. None of them even covered the project Veritas audio of, of ABC as though it was a news story. And, and as you pointed out, a very serious one because of the Jeffrey Epstein connection. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. It just goes to prove the point I was already making of if you are saying anything against Donald Trump, no matter who you are, whether you're a quote whistleblower or whether you're James Comey or whether you're a serial killer, you are to be protected and lionized at all costs. You are to be held up as some mantle of all that is good and right in America. But if you go after the media, I mean, you remember, Buck, it wasn't that long ago. CNN wrote a threatening letter to dox a guy who made a gif online of Trump doing a a body slam or something of a CNN sign, some stupid little gif that made a couple people snicker. CNN publicized a threatening letter saying, you will stop doing this, and you will not only pull this down, if you do anything like this again, we reserve the right to release your private information. That happened in this country. It's it's outrageous. I, I wanted to ask you, Jesse, uh, who is currently the worst Democrat in the race for president? Because we've had a few dropout. Beto is gone. To blah. Who is the worst? Oh, you know, honestly, it's Pete Buttigieg. It, I knew it, you were going to say that. That's what I wanted to ask you. Go ahead. Well, well, it is because he has, you know, he's one of these. There, this happens in politics all the time. He's one of these paper champions. You look down, if you're a Democrat or you're somebody in the press, and he's made for you. You know, he's a young, good-looking dude. He's gay. I mean, they love that part of it. He's from the Midwest. They're trying to win back the Midwest. He can speak. He's got military service so they can act like he gives a crap about America. They have all these things laid out for him, but it just doesn't work. It, It does not work. He's got this simmering anger about him that I saw a long time ago, and it seeps from his pores and it turns people off. That's why the guy's never gotten any traction. He raises a bunch of money because there's a lot of money in being gay in the Democrat side. There just is. There's big, you know, you can rally a lot of donors being that way. So he's raised a ton of money. She has everything in, in place to be a major candidate. It just ain't ever going to happen. Uh, just We've only got about to 20 seconds here, Jesse, but I, I wanted to ask you as well, 
Who's going to be the Democrat nominee at this point? Oh, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. I, I saw that coming a long time ago. She is unstoppable, and then Trump is going to curb stomp her. Wow. There you have it. Jesse Kelly telling us Elizabeth Warren is going to be the next Democrat nominee for presidency. Everyone should check out to follow Jesse Kelly on Twitter. Also watch him on the first channel, 248 on Pluto TV. And if you're down in Houston, KPRC Houston, the Jesse Kelly show. My man, Jesse Kelly, have a fantastic weekend, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Jeff Sessions here. I approved this ad when I left President Trump's cabinet. Did I write a tell-all book? No. Did I go on CNN and attack the president? Nope. Have I said a crossword about our president? Not one time. And I'll tell you why. First, that would be dishonorable. I was there to serve his agenda, not mine. Second, the president's doing a great job for America and Alabama, and he has my strong support. Jeff Sessions running for Senate in Alabama. You know, you all listen to the show know that I, I have a, uh, I have a soft spot for Jeff Sessions because he he did this show like three times when he was Attorney General. <laughs> he called in. We had a bunch of Jeff and I had to sit down with him, a video interview. With him. Jeff Sessions was uh, he's uh, he was a not he's a very nice man. I, I look. I don't think I don't think that his loyalty to country or loyalty even to Trump was ever in question at all. I think he did what he thought was right. He's just not a he's just a guy. You know, there's some people who are you're in a bar fight and you got a buddy with you. You know, they're a good guy, but like they're just not much much use in a bar fight. And Jeff Sessions as attorney general, there's not a lot of use in the bar fight. You know what I mean? So I, I think he had a right, you know, Trump was very uh, very tough on him ever since he decided. And I'm look, I am honest with you about my bias here. I, Jeff, Jeff, I guess he used to listen to the show sometimes when he was attorney general. He liked it and we would get to have him in the mix. But, uh, yeah, I wish him, I wish him well, man. I think he was very effective in the Senate. He's really one of the only people who, even before the Trump phenomenon happened, was supportive of a lot of Trump's signature policies. I don't think Jeff Sessions gets enough credit for that, especially on immigration, by the way. So, you know, Jeff Sessions, and he's a smart guy, and he's a good dude, and I feel badly because he got he got put through the meat grinder with the whole Attorney General Russia collusion thing. Should he ever have accused himself? No, probably not. But, you know, he made that decision, and a lot of stuff happened after that. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll do a little double roll call today. We'll do some uh, Facebook stuff, do some email stuff. Adam, first in here. Buck, on the Avengers, you make me sad. Producer Mark is on the money. I respect your opinion. I humbly ask you to reconsider. Shields high. I knew Mark was good. That's one. I'm going to count throughout the show. Yeah. Okay. Mark one, buck zero. Mark one, buck zero so far. Let's see. Let's see what ends up happening here on. uh, um, Matthew, you asked for it. Here we go. I'm sorry, producer Mark. You are wrong. The new Avenger movies are poor cinema, if they can even be called cinema. Buck, you are wrong too, though. Whoa, it's like is this like a draw then? I think so. Hockey is great. Oh, all right. That's Mark two. Uh, you're right on. The, I mean, he's giving you the hockey win, but I think you take the loss on the Avengers. Uh, let's see. Amanda writes in. Buck, uh, love the show. I need some book recommendations. I thought I'd ask someone smart and well-read. That's you. What would you say are your top five pertinent and instructive reads given the nation's current situation? Um, 
Coming Apart by Charles Murray is really interesting and worthwhile, and I think you would enjoy that as a book on on what's going on in the country. The Great Revolt by Selena Zito is also a very good book about the current situation. Um, trying to think what else would be. I actually saw a book that I have not been able to read yet, but I it is in my my queue of things that I want to read, and it's about, here we go, Nathaniel Blake's, oh no, sorry, the book is uh, The Strong Gods. I just saw this today, actually, so I might check out a book called The Strong Gods. I've heard it's about issues going on in this country. That was a recommendation. It was actually a recommendation from Molly Hemingway, whom I uh, very much uh, respect, so... Maybe I'll check that one out, The Strong Gods. And I hope that that was a reasonably helpful answer, Amanda. Thank you so much for writing in. Charlie writes, Hey, Buck, it's Chuck from Penn State. Would you please give your thoughts on this opinion of mine? A huge reason for the political discourse in our country is because people approach complex problems with a, lot of, with a lot of nuance with simple answers. And these problems answers are pushed by mainstream media who don't dive into the nuances of the problems or the potential solutions. Shields high. And producer Mark is the man. Look at the producer Mark's got fans. Producer Mark has fans. I'm going to call that three. That's, I, I, we'll give you a third on that one. You get three points on the board. Um, Charlie, uh, political discourse is deteriorating. There's a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the change in discourse that has resulted specifically, in my opinion, from... Uh, social media is a big part of this. People now feel very comfortable and feel very uh, justified in saying things and writing things and doing things on social media that they would absolutely not do face-to-face to another human being. Uh, and then there's also the echo chamber effect, which can be... I mean, you can li- you can exist in a world where all the news you read, if you, especially if you're a leftist, I'm just going to be honest, all the news you read all the time supports your worldview, reinforces your political biases and it's just a constant oh look at me look at me i'm i'm right uh situation so yeah i, I think that that's uh, that's what i would add in here um uh-oh Kristen, i do not agree with your assessment of the avenger movies i think they're great though endgame was a disappointment the rest are excellent amp- examples of action movies another point for producer mark womp, womp. i love when i'm right yeah mm-hmm. this is I'm going to I'm gonna have to skip these ones because people are starting That's not fair. I know. People are, well, it's my show. <laughs> people are start thinking, you're right. Your yeah, name's they, on the door. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, the producer Mark is winning the Avengers battle today. That's for sure. Justin, the Trump impeachment is straight out of the Democrat playbook. They take a crime they are 100% guilty of and turn it back on the Republicans to change the narrative. Example, Russia collusion. Hillary clearly colluded with Russia to try and win the election, and even prior to the election, said turn it back on Trump to draw attention away from that. Now we have Biden 100% guilty of a quid pro quo, so they can blame Trump and change the narrative, all in an effort to cover their own tracks. The swamp is really deep. Uh, Well, it is a tactic. It is a tactic that you see with uh, the left thinking that, um, that they can get away with accusing conservatives of doing exactly what they're doing I mean, that that is real i'm trying to find this for you now as as i'm live you know doing the show in real time but there is a um there was a story i think it was the new york times and it was it was an editorial actually but will republicans ever accept political losses and i just think that's amazing because what we've seen from 
Democrats is the very a very real situation of them not accepting they do not accept political losses. They do not accept that Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016. They still think that there's some way that they can justify to themselves acting like that election did not happen. So let me see. It was a New York Times piece, I think. I'll try to find it. It was a thing editorial um, where they write, you know, New York, the New York Times was once a great newspaper. I mean, now it is a straight up propaganda rag of the left. I mean, the New York Times is a is a disgrace to journalism. Um, and they've got an article today. The billionaires are getting nervous. Yeah. The New York Times was okay with, uh, you know, the New York Times was okay with billionaires when Carlos Slim was injecting cash in the New York Times so they could stay, stay afloat. Uh, here we go. Matt. Buck, I'm a few episodes into Jack Ryan, and I can't say it's all too bad. Sure, it has some lib undertones, but these days you'll find that in almost all content. It's much more watchable than anything on TV. Lighten up a little bit and enjoy a fun storyline. Matt, OSS, original Saturday Squad. Matt, man, I'm all about light. I'm light as a feather. I'm just chill all the time, 24-7, pretty much. Um, I, I, I can't agree. I just thought this is not a good show, man. I don't know what to say. It's the the uh, scene where the, the ambush scene the first in the first episode was just weak sauce, man. It was just bad. It really was. I mean, I, I could come up with a cooler ambush sequence of like 15 minutes of script writing. So it wasn't good. So look, man, to each his own. You're completely entitled to your own opinion. And I'm entitled to be right. Oh, just kidding. Uh, let's see here. Um, Lori writes, do the night guard for your grinding problem. I actually have two broken teeth, which ex- involves expensive crowns. Um, I also bought the ultrasonic denture cleaner to clean the guard weekly. It has cut down all the ramifications of grinding. You can do it and get used to it. Ah, oh, Lori, I'm really going to wear this thing. I always feel like... I. When I put the guard in my mouth, that sort of talks a little bit like, because it sticks to the top of your tongue. So you have this guard in your mouth. And, you know, like, maybe, maybe you know, at some point, uh, Buck would like to, I don't know, like, uh, be in a, a committed relationship and be married. Every night I'd be like, honey, I'm sorry. I've put my night guard in, and I'm just going to protect, protect my teeth. With the night guard, because it's really in there. It's not good. As a radio, as your radio producer, I should tell you to stop talking like that immediately, and because um, it sounds ridiculous. And you know, once you get past the first couple of months, you can do stuff like that in a relationship, there, right? But I can't, I can't pull out the night, the night no, guard like, right away. When you are in bed with her, the cup first couple of times, you don't wear it. Yeah, but it's it's not, you can wear it on a nightly basis. Yeah, okay, fine. But you know, like it's. It's you sound like a like if you ever do you ever have you ever use one? You ever talk about the night guard? You ever I have understand one what it is? Yeah, I've never used it one. It's like uh, you know when you were like kids and you'd have brace like like yeah. the big metal bracket braces when you're a kid and it would sometimes get like of course and it would interfere with it's like that. You don't sound cool. You don't sound cool. With your uh, you don't guard. always need to be cool, Buck. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, gotta, I think yeah. you gotta. You're I gotta so worried about cool. a wife and kids, but you gotta yeah, keep yourself healthy too. That's, that's true. I don't. Also, I look. I mean, I think it's good advice. My dentist says got to put the night guard in, and I just couldn't do a radio show with it, and that's for sure. Stuck right in the top of your mouth. in the voice again. All right, I know. I know it's bad. It's bad, but that's what it sounds like. I'm. Trust me, I've gotten used to it. Um, I've tried it now a couple of times, David. 
Hey, Buck, I'm all for these idiots wanting to reduce the population. They will and we won't. Long term, we win. Of course, Keynes, as in John Maynard, said in the long run, we're all dead. Not necessarily true, my friend. Keep up the great work. Take care, Dave. Well, Dave, I like where your head's at on this. You're good. You're a good man. Uh, let's see. Ron writes, Buck, Trump again referenced syringes in San Francisco. The city says that they intercept them before they get to the oceans, but somehow plastic straws seem to sail on through, so we must be we must ban them. Amazing. Shields high. Interesting point here. You're saying so that the hypodermic needles obviously are um, a form of waste and the city distributing that waste at the same time that they're banning the distribution of plastic straws. That um, they would say, obviously, you don't need a straw. You need a hypodermic needle, uh, etc. But I see what you're. I see where you're going with that. Um, Sarah, it's Buck. I love your show. Oh well, thank you, Sarah. I'm a teacher of 13 years and at a public school, and I completely agree with your viewpoint of schools basically being a socialist entity. Here we go. The teachers know I'm right. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how great of a teacher you are. When a horrible teacher has the same number of years experience as a great teacher, they make exactly the same amount of money and there's no incentive to work hard. I keep getting more jaded each year I teach. Keep doing what you're doing. I keep telling everyone I know to listen to your show. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Really means a lot. Please do tell people to listen to the show. Our podcast numbers last month were, uh, were jumping up a bit, which was just in response to me asking all of you to please tell people about the show. So that's great. Please do continue to spread the word. You guys are the best, the best, you know, word of mouth that I could have are from you guys who listen to the show and gals, of course. Um, whatever, you know, everyone's allowed to choose their pronouns these days. Guys, gals, whatever, whatever one's chosen nomenclature would be. Um, and Sarah, yeah, about about public schools. I mean, this is true from friends of mine who teach in the public school system. And I've talked to them about this and what you're telling me, this is the way that it is. And it is very much a socialist entity. And I, I really don't like the, you know, I've had to, I've sat down with teachers. I sat down with the president of the American Federation of Teachers a few times when I worked at the Hill. And it was just the same old womp, 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 womp talking points about how teachers just want to teach. And it's just about teaching and it's about the kids and about our future and teachers wanting to teach and the kids and our future. And okay, yeah, but like, where are we spending all this money? Why are, why are outcomes not any better? Why are we not seeing test scores rise? Why are charter schools able to fix this problem in a way that public schools can't, even when the public schools have greater resources? Like, that's the conversation that we should have. You know, why isn't parental involvement more a a uh, part of school curriculum and a, and, a, and when I say involvement, I don't mean doing the homework with the kids, but you know, you know, parents need to be involved. And people like to think, oh, I dropped my kid at the school. The school handles no. The parents need to they need to show up. They need to be engaged. You need to make sure the kid feels supported in the endeavors in the school. You know, there's an education process for parents as well. I don't mean education as in the classroom necessarily, but learning about how to be supportive of their kids. And I don't know this from personal experience because I don't have any kids yet, but I know this from the teachers who have been in the trenches doing this stuff. And they'll tell you that parental involvement is an enormous factor in success or failure for kids, regardless of, of race, socioeconomic status, et cetera. Parental involvement really, really matters. Um, here we go. Tim. But given the power and extent of the cartels in Mexico, which were brought to light this week, how long before Mexico is considered a failed state? And if and when that happens, what would our plan be? 
failed state across our border is a huge security risk and becomes an even easier entry point for terrorists. Um, it's a fair question. I mean, Mexico is not yet a failed state because it does have a government apparatus that is largely still functional. And let's just remember that there are there are portions or parts of Mexico that are very they're actually quite safe. Um, there are parts of Mexico that would not be problematic to go visit. Um, you know, a f- an interesting what, what really we'd have to think more about how do we define a failed state? Uh, you know, a state that no longer has a functioning government or a government that can exercise its sovereignty, enforce contracts, uh, and the rule of law. Is that what a failed state really is? Uh, we'd have to look into the specifics of the definition. Mexico is not yet a failed state, but the power of the cartels and the ability of the narco traffickers to take on the federal, to take on the Mexican federal government head on. And uh, that that's very concerning. That's uh, something that we're going to have to have more of a policy focus on. I mean, Mexico is a bigger issue for us than Syria, by the way. No one ever seems to think about this, at least in the media, but Mexico and the cartels and the drug war, much bigger day-to-day concern in our lives than Syria. All right, I hope you've enjoyed the show, my friends. I love doing it. Producer Mark is going to miss you all. He sends you hugs. He's not always grouchy. Have a fantastic weekend. We will talk to you Monday. Shields high.